Good afternoon and welcome to another stellar edition of The Drive. Pretty I'm, good. I'm Bear. I'm Tucker uh, Carlson, uh, Harlan alongside. <laughs> Houston Cress. Here, do you want me to try it? And hello again. Good afternoon no, and welcome to another stellar, stellar edition of The Drive. drive. Russell Smith punching the time, time clock. clock. On a beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Wednesday. Wednesday. Here in Knoxville. Obviously, uh, you can tell by the mangled intro to the show that Russell is <clears throat> not with us today. A little under the weather. He's alive. Get well soon, Russ. Not with us. So it's, uh, yeah, he is still alive. He's so alive. It's, it's going to be, you know, the it's three okay. of us. Well, it'll be me and Houston for the duration. Oh, yeah, that's right. Carlson's got to leave early. That's right. We got. Uh, he doesn't want to miss out on dinner with Shumpert and Rick and the rest of the beat guys over there at Tommy. He's Hall. he's giving me two predictions for what the pregame meal will be tonight at yeah. Food City Center. You know, I'm kind of you think they'd have like the Food City Deli give you guys like that some, is true. I I've, think I've, about that. I've heard they make one of the best Rubens in town. If you can go to one that has like the griddle deli, I've heard their Rubens are incredible. I used to love Rubens. I can't eat them anymore. I, why? Uh. I got uh, food poisoning. Oh, I, I get it, dude. One time on a good a good meal, but if you get it, see ya. There's a lot of stuff on the list, you know. That that might be why it's on the list. Oh yeah, yeah. 100%. I get that. I get that. Yeah. Uh, not cinnamon toast crunch. That stuff's garbage. It <laughs> it wasn't there. food. That's not bad. It wasn't food poisoning, but jalapeno popper Doritos. Did you ever have those? No, I can't say. Buddy, I did. they were elite. But I had a bad experience once. So they ever, too many of them. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah I'll say it, it that way. You. And then it uh, happens to husky kids like me and you. Then there was a uh, reversal of fortune, and never again. Yeah, just can't do it, guys. Today's a national holiday. This used to be Tucker. I kid you not. The biggest day of the year. Happy National Signing Day to all. I mean, we used to. We'd be on remote. That's what I was telling him. I was like, dude, seven, 7A, 6A to 8P. You were somewhere eating food, drinking beer, watching the television, listening to the radio. It's just gone. Who are we going to get? And now it's it's just another day. It's just a Wednesday. It's also uh, the 60th anniversary, one of the most monumental events in human history, Tucker. Can you tell me what happened 60 years ago today? 1964. Yep. It's not the Kennedy assassination. No. It did bring the country out of the, and for that matter, kind of the world out of the horrible depression that everybody was in after the Kennedy assassination. I have a dream? Nope. No? Four lads from Liverpool touched down at... Oh! 
I can't remember what it was called. The then. Beatles came to America. Yep. The British invasion began 60 years ago today. And then six years later, Led Zeppelin broke all their attendance records. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. That was By ripping off old bluesmen. Nah, there's nothing new under the sun. No, there's not. But we've got a big show for you, even without Russell here today. We've got Blake Topmeyer coming on here in about 10, 15 minutes. We're going to check in with him about the latest on the uh, – we really need to give this whole thing a name. You know, like we had Cockgate for – I've got six questions for Cock Blake. Cockgate. Uh, yeah, what is well, – I mean, this feel it feels like it needs a very monumental name. I mean, th- yeah. I, I realize we're in a bubble. The that- brawl to settle it all. Ooh, that's actually not bad. Yeah. I mean, it, it really could end up becoming that. That's why, I, th- I mean, it definitely needs a, a mover and a shaker for a name. Loser leaves town. The, I gotta think about that. What was it? The Thrilla in Manila. The Battle for Seattle. Dondi the Destroyer. I've chosen. That's, that's one of the main characters of this whole thing. So we'll see. I, I think there's been a. I've chosen my fighter. A, a couple of things that have kind of. I think as yesterday's news kind of settled in. What that break yesterday? About five. Yeah. So yeah, we, five. we didn't have as much time to get into it, but obviously, yeah, Tennessee misses out on the temporary restraining order, which I think at least initially for me, I was just kind of like, uh oh. But very quickly, once you read the full release by yeah. Judge Corker. Uh, I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal for us. Yeah, I think the injunction will probably still be granted. I'm going to ask Blake about that. I still can't believe in his response. He said, but based on the uh, findings, uh, it feels like Tennessee and Virginia will be successful under the Sherman Act. I was just surprised that he threw that in there. Like, hey, I'm not giving you the TRO, Yeah, but you're going to win. I've got a couple of of questions for him. Uh, Tom Mars was talking about something today. Basically, I... I think it was Tom that brought it up, but um, actually it was, no, there's some news out of Oregon. The Oregon legislature is working on, I don't know if they've gone back in to work on their NIL law some more, but basically to address the fact that the NCAA is saying that they'll, they will use circumstantial evidence. So I just, I don't understand what they're, yeah, uh, this is Trey Wallace's tweet from late last night. It says, The state of Oregon held a legislative hearing today on proposed changes on how to protect student-athletes in the state when it comes to NIL. Quote, These problems have been exacerbated by the NCAA changing the standard of proof to, quote, circumstantial evidence. Which means, instead of having to prove, you know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that a team may or may not have done something, it is now circumstantial evidence is, is enough in the eyes of the NCAA to say, yeah, you're going to get a, a recruiting ban or sanctions or scholarships. And yeah. this has been the NCAA's problem. Goalpost movement. It, it, I mean, the whole time. Well, that, and it's just, it's got, this is one of the reasons, and people ask, why do they always lose? Because they do things like this and they have, you know, and, and Tom Mars, if you're not following him on Twitter, you absolutely should. He's kind yeah, of he's, he's, he's left a trail a, of breadcrumbs. He's he, having a week. He kind of keeps bringing up stuff that there's no way it's going to fly in court with a judge with you know a pulse as far as a lot from what I you know from everything that I'm reading. But then again, who knows how this thing's going to end up? Yeah, and I guess that's the fear, right? You know, it, everyone. I guess there wasn't as much of a prediction as far as the TRO 
Uh, you just knew that Tennessee was asking for it and hopes to get it kind of in place before today, National Signing Day, the huge day that it has become on the sports calendar. Uh, but Judge Corker says, essentially, uh, what was his exact reasoning? Like, if it's financial damages, they're going to be able to get that back later. So yeah, I mean, there, was, there wasn't really recoupable. Yeah, there wasn't really. Was there nah, irreparable there, harm? Yeah, there was nothing. Tennessee didn't, or Virginia didn't really bring anything that showed that they were going to suffer irreparable harm. Yeah. In these few days before it, you know, before next Tuesday. So, um, so, you know, I, I was going to be stunned if they had issued the temporary restraining order. Well, you said it was either before the show or maybe at the beginning of the show yesterday that based on what you had heard is like 95% chance yeah, that they don't get it. Yeah, but it had nothing to do with Right. You couldn't let the that The total outcome of the case. This was that yeah. very short window and the short TRO that they were kind of discussing yeah. at that point. Which it that makes sense. And if that's the case, if they really are that rare to be passed out and that hard to get, then, you know, maybe my initial reaction yesterday was a little bit overblown. I wasn't so much mad or surprised, I was just kind of disappointed. I just really wanted I wanted the NCAA to go over on this one, just a, a behind the woodshed, pull their pants down and just paddle them the whole way through. I would, but I'll be more content with just as long as you know. Oh yeah, I mean, as long as they follow follow. I just as a layman and paying attention to you know the lawyers that I've seen interviewed about this. We've interviewed you know Dan Lust. Uh, I feel pretty confident. Um. I just don't I don't see a way out of it. And then like I said, Tom Mars keeps leaving breadcrumbs about, you know, like the circumstantial evidence, they have no subpoena power, some of the dirty tricks they pull. And Yeah, he's airing he's, he's airing some dirty laundry of theirs that they probably Well, yeah, because they hired him to be an independent um on that oh the complex case. Mm-hmm. Thing. Uh, and then he, after like a year, he figured out that they really didn't want somebody in an independent investigator with federal prosecutorial experience. They were more or less just trying to get get him on their side, so yeah. that he couldn't be somewhere else going against them. I, I don't. I really don't know why. They, I feel like I remember reading that somewhere. Like the only reason the NCAA reached out to Tom Mars was it so they wouldn't be sitting across from him in court. Essentially, is he involved in this? Can we like? I don't know. Toss him a couple bones and make sure he's uh, sitting with the the good guys for this case. Because I feel, hell, he might do it pro bono. This guy's going to get world famous if he comes in here and wins uh, this thing. I thought Mars was working on this one. Is he not? Is he? I'm not sure. I I don't know. He is. On our side? Yes. Yeah, okay, good. That's what I wanted to hear, Tucker. That's good. Well, then I'm actually even more surprised that he's popping off as much as he is on Twitter if he's actually involved in this case. Seems like that might be... Maybe not the most advisable thing to do. Uh, Chris tweets in and says, think about what the last 50 years of Alabama football and Kentucky basketball would have looked like with a circumstantial evidence burden of proof in regards to impermissible benefits. Yeah, like that's the whole... Well, I mean, it, they would have gotten the death penalty. I mean, it's like Russ said... Four or five times over each. The NCAA was formed to deal with Kentucky. I guess that's another thing that we, we've talked about it a little bit, but the uh, the selective punishment, the selective investigation by the NCAA, you know, Duke, Carolina, Kansas, they all skate free on certain things, and then Will Wade gets he gets hammered. 
they hammer Oklahoma State, uh, you know, some of the smaller schools. Like, it just it doesn't seem to make sense. I mean, you understand they don't want to go after their cash cows, but if that's their mentality, then what are you even doing? Why do you even exist? Why, why are you pretending to wield this power over collegiate athletics when all you're doing is really causing headaches for everybody who's actually trying to work hard and get their job done? Makes no sense. I'm, I'm just sick and tired of it. I'm over it. And it feels like uh, maybe I want to ask Blake about this. You know, you got Sankey and the Big Ten kind of joining forces with a a committee interested in, uh, I, I guess it's going to be kind of new law of governance and how they want to move forward. And it seems like maybe push the NCAA out. Like, you're, hey, you're antiquated. Sorry. Yeah, it may be. Cause, I mean, at some point, I just don't see any way around it. You know, Davey, uh, Lenore City Bulldog, Davey Hudson, my volunteer reaction uh, cohort and Houston's old running buddy, um, has said from the very beginning, Davey's usually right about this stuff. He just didn't see any way around it. Plus, he's also graduated from law school. Um, that eventually they were going to have to call them employees. Yeah. And that's something they've never wanted to do. They don't want to share the money. They don't want to pay workman's comp. They don't want to offer... You benefits know, benefits and all the protections that employees mm-hmm. in america have but we all know any you know and they have been for i mean it, it was in the late 80s and early 90s is when the tv money came in it's back when i was a kid guys i mean you didn't, every tennessee game wasn't on tv and then slowly but surely and then it got to be you know you'd always get to see the alabama tennessee game would be on tv and then they slowly but surely like, I remember back when there were, like, SEC games that were pay-per-view. Oh, yeah. Like, I remember watching f- a Tennessee-Arkansas game, like a big game bucks. late in the season. Yep. Yeah. Yep. To get it. But once that TV money started rolling in and they didn't – they never wanted to pay their, you know, it's their workforce, the talent. And I think ultimately that's what led to the dismantling of the Pac-12. Because when, when the TV money first hit, it felt like everybody was getting rich at the same rate, right? right? Everybody just saw this huge influx of cash. Oh, we can play football and just be on TV and make money forever and ever and ever. And then you see, oh, it's dominated by the Southeast. And as the Big Ten and the SEC and even the ACC to a degree kept growing – Pac-12 stop making as much money. Some parts of the Big 12 start making as much stop making as yeah. much money. They just couldn't negotiate a deal. Yeah, and well, well that, because that, their I viewership, mean, uh, like they can't yeah. keep up They're, with the uh, SEC and the Big Ten. The inventory um, from especially the SEC, it kind of began in the late 80s, early 90s, but the SEC inventory for television, you know, games for television, was a superior product. They had the best athletes. Mm-hmm. Most of them come from this area. The yep. The country, and then you know, SEC schools would go outside the SEC footprint, and they go to California and they recruit. Yep, you know yep. your best kids, and you know you want to play on prime time on CBS, ESPN, yada yada yada. Come to the SEC, and then it you know we slowly built into this monster that's dominated college sports for. There was some going gra- on thirty years some now. Some graphic I saw a while back. It was like. It was something like 73% of college football viewers live east of the Mississippi. Yeah. That adds up. I mean, I mean, if you, you do the math, and it's like there's just not the market in L.A., Seattle. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's just – for college football, at least, there's just – there's not the market for it. No. At least not, not that many different teams and, and to make it interesting. And then you had really poor leadership in the Pac-12, too, which really, I mean, really hurt them. Yeah. 
completely screwed it up. So, um, but yeah, we'll ask Blake about that and more. Um, as the show goes on, it's it's after uh, Blake. It's going to be wall to wall, y'all today. Uh, load them up, taking calls. We'll talk about the LSU big basketball game tonight. Big at the Food City Center. Got to take care of business, Houston. I feel pretty good about tonight. I do too. They're going to be very similar to Kentucky, from what I understand. Explode from what Barnes said. He said they're explosive athletically. You're gonna, we're going to have to guard them. I'll tell you another way. They're a lot like Kentucky. They don't play defense. They don't play great defense, especially right. not on the road. I, I, I'll give them a slight edge over Kentucky on the defensive end, but not much. Slight, slight. slight. All right. Well, we're going to take our first break, and we'll be right back after these messages with Blake Topmeyer from USA Today and Knoxville News Sentinel. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Russell. Yes. Uh, but you are listening to The Drive on Fan Run Radio. Welcome back into The Drive, where we are now joined by Blake Topmeyer, Knoxville News Sentinel. Blake, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. You guys? Not bad. Enjoying the weather. It's nice spring-like weather. Uh, you know, it, it looks like even uh, we were just talking right before it, at the break about how it was, uh, what, around this time last week, Houston? Yeah, been about a week, I guess. Maybe a little bit more all this- since uh, the world turned upside down in Knoxville. Uh, Blake, we'll start there, if you're good with that. Uh, if you could give us your 10,000-foot view over the last seven or eight days, what it means for Tennessee and what it may mean for the NCAA. Yeah, for the NCAA, I mean, I, I think this ongoing lawsuit is is a huge case. I mean, I, I spoke with a, a prominent sports law attorney last week, uh, Dan Lust, who's based in New York, and, and as Dan put it to me, um, this case really speaks to the heart of the NCAA's ability to enforce its NIL guidelines going forward. I mean, this is sort of a uh, of a turning point moment for the NCAA, what, kind of what comes from here. And obviously, you know, the NCAA sort of took the first inning, I guess, to use a sports metaphor yesterday, uh, with Tennessee being denied the temporary restraining order. But, um, you know, in, in talking to people in the legal community, like that – that wasn't a surprise, A, and, and B, it's not really a substantial blow to Tennessee. I mean, really, this, um, you know, the other shoe to drop comes next week with the temporary injunction, and that has the power to be longer lasting than what the temporary restraining order was anyway. And, uh, you know, in reading the opinion of the judge yesterday, I mean, it seems to be a tipping of the hand that uh, Tennessee and, and Virginia, their attorneys general, kind of have the upper leg here. Uh, in, in seeking that injunction uh, as it pertains to their claim uh, that the NCAA's NIL guidelines violate uh, the Sherman Antitrust Act. So I, I guess in summary, it's not good for Tennessee that they're under NCAA investigation. You never, you never want the NCAA poking around under your hood. But uh, if, I, if I'm saying it's not good for Tennessee, I, I guess I would say that this has the potential to be much, much worse for the NCAA. Yeah, obviously Tennessee just gets out of an NCAA investigation uh, during the season. Um, This is a two-part question, I suppose. Do you think the NCAA was surprised with Tennessee's swift and and strong response 
to this investigation? And and do you think maybe the NCAA looked at Tennessee after the previous investigation and said, oh, well, they've kind of laid down for us a little bit. Maybe we can go in and, and whip them again. I don't think so, because in, in the last time around, Tennessee was motivated to work with the NCAA for multiple reasons. Uh, I mean, for starters, Tennessee fired Jeremy Pruitt for cause. We, we, we know this, right? And so um, there was the threat that Pruitt was going to sue uh, for a breach of contract. And so in working with the NCAA, I mean, Tennessee kind of worked it on two fronts, right? They were able to, to show the quote-unquote exemplary co- cooperation that the NCAA ultimately honored. But then they worked it on the other front as well by producing the cause that they said that they they had for firing Pruitt. So they saved themselves $12.6 million uh, in working hand-in-hand with the NCAA uh, at that point. The game has changed. Uh, Now Tennessee would be a repeat offender, and so it would be much more risky for Tennessee to take that that path of of exemplary cooperation because the NCAA has said clearly and repeatedly now that the penalties are stiffer for repeat offenders. So I don't think you want to take that strategy twice. Uh, number two, Tennessee is not trying to get out of a $12.6 million buyout uh, this time. And number three, uh, I think Tennessee believes, and this is probably the most important point, I think Tennessee uh, believes that it has the law on its side this time. Like last time they were under NCAA investigation, there was nothing they could have, to my knowledge, there was nothing they could have cited in federal law that would have got the NCAA off their lawn. Uh, I mean, at that point, um, there was no NIL. What Jeremy Pruitt and his staff were doing was clearly against NCAA rules, and there was, there was really no legal bounds to tell the NCAA to go away. Now the game has changed, and with that Austin decision in 2021, uh, in which the Supreme Court ruled 9-0 against the NCAA and Brett Kavanaugh, uh, wrote that concurring opinion in which he warned the NCAA that it needs to uh, prepare itself for a barrage of antitrust lawsuits. Um, you know, I, I think that laid the groundwork for not only Tennessee, but as we're seeing across the country now, uh, this this wave of antitrust lawsuits. I mean, this was this was predicted by Brett Kavanaugh three years ago. Uh, Blake, uh, shortly after this lawsuit is announced, uh, the SEC and Big Ten announced that they're going to partner up and form a a panel or committee as far as oversight is concerned. Uh, I I have a a theory here, but do you think that that timing was coincidental? (laughs) No, I don't. I don't think it was coincidental. Uh, I suspect that matches your theory. Correct. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. My bigger question is, are they going to do anything? Uh, I mean, here's the thing. When these advisory groups or buddy, buddy packs form... Uh, you know, all of us in the media blast out these, these big headlines and act as if sweeping change is coming. And here it is. These, uh, you know, th- th- this buddy group is going to produce some uh, paradigm-shifting movement in the sport. Typically, that doesn't happen. Uh, and also, let's not forget, Greg Sankey co-chaired the NCAA's Transformation Committee just one year ago. You guys recall any major transformation occurring from that committee that Greg Sankey co-chaired? No, but I, I wonder, uh, Blake, if he just got on the you know, got a good look uh, look at it from the inside and realized, well, if I just sit back, it's going to maybe crumble on its own and he can just step in. Well, maybe. Uh, and, and you do have the two power brokers at the table here, which, which makes this, I guess, a more realistic 
um, path forward for substantial change. But I don't know. I mean, call me skeptical that uh, that these two guys are going to put their heads together and, uh, and and reshape the paradigm of, of college sports. If they do, though, um, I, I think they're going to have to pivot away from the NCAA's years-long failed strategy of crying to Congress for a federal bailout, for federal NIL legislation, um, for federal tr- antitrust exemption. That's been the NCAA's strategy for three years now. Uh, it didn't work, and it's not going to work. Uh, there, there's no indication, anyway, that it's going to work. Now, for years, we've also heard Greg Sankey say that he wants federal help in, in the space of NIL. Maybe Sankey has wisened up and realized that's not coming from Congress. Um, and if you want solutions to your problems, you've got to you got to do it yourself. Or, or in this case, it would be the SEC and, and Big Ten teaming up together um, and doing it in partnership. What could that look like? I think that could look like uh, talks of a collective bargaining agreement, revenue sharing. That could be really scary, um, you know, if you're a, a lower level school. But for most of the programs in the Big Ten and the SEC, I think they could stomach that reality. Um, and, I, and I think there could be a future in that. I guess, again, I just, I'm waiting to be convinced that the SEC and the Big Ten are serious about going down this path uh, of revenue sharing, collective bargaining, and uh, on some level recognizing athletes as employees. Blake, I keep wondering if, if, we're, if there's going to be a time in the not-too-distant future where the NCAA just handles the administrative stuff, like, you know, yeah. or and they the the <laughs> trouble when they seem to get into trouble, Blake, is with enforcement. That's a great point, and and um, you know I think that could be another possibility out of this um, this union between the SEC and Big Ten is uh, you know like the, the shiny object is like oh are the SEC and Big Ten going to go it alone in their own playoff? Maybe I, I think that's probably unlikely in the short term, but I guess it's possible. But I think what's more likely is something like you just said there. Maybe those two conferences will decide they're going to police themselves and, uh, and bargain for their own rules and, and sort of boot the NCAA out when it comes to enforcement. Because I agree with you that I think going forward, we will see the NCAA in a more reduced form when it comes to enforcement. I'm not one of those poli- people that believe the, the absolute demise of the NCAA is imminent. Uh, I think we've been reading stories about that for the last 25 years, um, and, and still the NCAA staggers on. Yeah. However, I do think the NCAA is, is absorbing some serious gut punches here, uh, and I do think that whatever form it, it, shape, it, it takes in the future, it won't, it won't look exactly like the governing body that it is now, and I agree with you, that could mean less uh, power, and uh, in duty for NCA enforcement and more like clerical type work, yeah, right? Like they, yeah. they they put on the NCA volleyball championships. <laughs> or they, they put on the put on the basketball, you know, put yeah, on the basketball yeah. tournament, the World Series. Right. But they're not the judge and jury when it when it comes to these infractions. No, I think that would probably be, if we're being honest, that would probably be better handled by because they're gonna they need to rewrite the rule book to match the the times we're we're living in and you know, the landscape of college sports right now. They need to be real black and white, and the punishment, that we need rules. It, it can't, it's not, I don't think it's healthy to you for it to continue in this, you know, what the, everybody keeps calling it the wild, wild west atmosphere. Yeah, I, I guess I don't, I've never really had too much 
problem with with the Wild West. I mean, I, I guess put differently, I would call it like free market capitalism. I, you know, I, I'm not out there advocating for for guardrails, and it doesn't sound like Tennessee's attorney general is either. He's, he's more advocating for the removal of of the two flimsy guardrails that the NCAA has had for the last three years. Uh, I would actually like kind of like to see that happen. Just uh, unfettered recruiting inducements, um, and 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 it, it, it all it all it all is fair. It's all against the rules, or, or it's all within the rules. It's legalized cheating. Uh, maybe I'm I'm sort of in the minority uh, in that camp, but I, I think I'd kind of like to to take a look at that and see what that looks like. But I, I think we're almost past that point now. Uh, I think the time for the NCAA to embrace NIL with no guardrails has probably come to a close. And, and I think the reality is. We're inching down the path, um, you know, whether anyone really wants this solution or not. I think we're probably inching down the path of, of revenue sharing and uh, collective bargaining with, with athletes. Talking with Blake Topmeyer, who covers the SEC for USA Today and the Knoxville News Sentinel. Um, Blake, we've, we've kind of seen this coming with NIL and players as employees, getting them paid for a long, long time. What was the NCAA's biggest mistake that got us to this point? Um, I think the the biggest mistake was probably spending three years, as I mentioned, uh, you know, they spent three years pleading for a federal bailout that, um, you know, if you really understand anything about the political landscape, was just never going to happen. It was was never going to be uh, a winning issue from Congress. And so they kind of spun their tires and and did nothing uh, for three years. And and I also think uh, the NCAA's lack of an attempt to police uh, any NIL potential violations within the first two years, um, I think weakened the NCAA's ability to now try to do this you know, three years into this. I'm not sure that the NCAA, uh, within the bounds of antitrust law, ever would have been able to successfully police what meager NIL guidelines they had, uh, but they would have been on weak footing trying to police that in 2021 and 2022, but now, uh, as uh, three years down the road, whatever weak footing they would have had a few years ago, I think is substantially weakened even further now based on the fact that they did nothing for, for two years. So I think it's a, it's a really hard argument for the NCAA to make um, that they're going to start policing NIL all of a sudden when the sheriff's been on vacation in, within the wild, wild west for three years. And, and now he shows up and he's like, uh, hey, I got a town to run here. And, and everybody in town's like, where have you been for the last three years, and why should we respect your authority? Uh, again, I think they would have ran into antitrust issues uh, even at the beginning, but I think they compounded matters and made it even more difficult for themselves by spinning their tires, uh, really doing nothing for three years other than cry to Congress, and now all of a sudden they've showed, shown up back in town and, and they're going to play constable, and I, I just don't see it working. Blake, you, you hit on this a little bit earlier uh, we were talking about this yesterday. Basically, since the day Heupel uh, stepped foot on campus as Tennessee's head coach, there's been an NCAA cloud hanging over the football program. He got about three months of quiet, and now this resurfaces. What impact or how significant of an impact does that have on his ability to recruit, to sell his program, to retain coaches as we move forward through what could be a years-long case in this situation? I think this one really shouldn't impact his ability to recruit really much at all. I think the last one could have. Um, I mean, if you look at sort of what 
you know, we believe the NCAA is sniffing around at here is that, uh, you know, Tennessee maybe had been running afoul of uh, the NCAA's meager recruiting inducements uh, guidelines under, under NIL. So uh, let's say that's true. Hasn't been proven, but let's say that it is. Well, what does that tell me if I'm a recruit? It's that whatever flimsy rules the NCAA has uh, around inducements, Tennessee doesn't care about them. That's a place, if you, if you want some inducements, um, hey, go play for Tennessee. I mean, to me, I don't, I don't think you could put this on a billboard. <laughs> right. uh, but, but to me, I mean, it's almost a sales pitch, right? Like, whatever NCAA rules they have, we'll just have our attorney general sue the NCAA, claim them, perhaps factually claim, that those rules are against federal antitrust law, and we're going to refuse to recognize that those rules even exist. I mean, again, I think that's, if you could subtly put that messaging out there, I don't know how you do that, but to me that's, that, that's almost a leg up. That's an advantage uh, when you just say, the heck with these NIL guidelines. We don't, we don't observe these um, as, as being allowed within the law, so forget about it. Come to Tennessee uh, and get yeah, paid. I, I think it was- <laughs> That's right. It was yeah, Tennessee. Maybe put that up on a billboard, a, a, a giant, <laughs> uh, giant dollar bill or something. I think there was Tennessee. There's a handful of schools that really took what Justice Kavanaugh said at the end of Austin to heart. Basically, that he, he didn't see how they were going to be able to enforce any of the rules. I'm paraphrasing um, without violating Sherman antitrust law. That's right. Yeah, as Kavanaugh put it, the NCAA is not above the law, and and. Uh, you know, the NCAA really had two options, as was laid out uh, by Kavanaugh in that opinion. Option one was to get Congress on on their side and to receive an antitrust exemption or federal uh, NIL legislation that would allow them to navigate this. And that's the option the NCAA took, uh, even though, as I say, I think that was ill-advised and was never going to work. The other option that was laid out by Kavanaugh in that opinion, uh, a way to get around antitrust law, was collective bargaining um, and revenue sharing. And that is the option that for three years, well, really for its entire existence, uh, the NCAA has ignored that elephant in the room. And in the absence of help from Congress and in the absence absence of uh, collective bargaining, yeah, what what is happening is exactly what Kavanaugh predicted. Like, the, the NCAA needed to be successful on one of two avenues. It failed. Uh, on one avenue, it didn't even try to go down the other avenue, and, and now the end result is, as Kavanaugh said, um, you know, a mountain of, of antitrust lawsuits. And, and, and really, to cut to the heart of the matter, no one's scared of the NCA anymore because they believe the high court uh, is against the NCA. And, and that Austin decision, you know, that has reverberations beyond one case. Like, that is powerful case law precedent that is being used um, in all these subsequent lawsuits against the NCA, and and you know it's worth pointing out that uh, you know it wasn't a five four decision, it wasn't a six three decision. This was unanimous. All of the conservative justices, all of the liberal justices agreed uh, in twenty twenty one in that Austin decision, and it was a unanimous loss for the NCA. That is that is powerful precedent that we're now seeing being cited in these subsequent lawsuits. Oh, I mean, you've got you've got United States senators who would not ag- agree that the sky is blue if it meant agreeing with somebody on the opposite side of the aisle who are in full agreement. And <laughs> Holding hands to, in front of the crowd. Take, yeah. take the NCAA to task. So they, 
they misread the room. I've contended forever. One of the big things that they don't, you know, they are have never wanted to even entertain the thought of um, the the athletes being labeled employees, and they've gotten away with not having to, you know, pay workman's comp is a huge thing. I think, you know, just the the nightmare for the NCAA that that would be. Yeah, and, and it may be unavoidable now that at least on some level, um, you know, you, I don't know that it's going to be every athlete at, at your university or at every university, but I think on, on some level we are inching down a path toward at least some athletes at some universities being designated employees um, and, uh, again, collective bargaining, getting a, getting a bite uh, of the revenues. I, I kind of wonder... When we look back on it, guys, I kind of wonder whether fans will realize that these were kind of the glory days, these NIL days of college athletics, and maybe we didn't even realize it, right? Like, the, the athletes could get paid, um, but they weren't they weren't taking tax dollars. They weren't taking even university revenues. Um, and you as a fan could decide whether you wanted to, uh, to, to pay or not, right? Like, it's like sitting in the church and the offering plate comes by, and, and the pastor staring at you there from the pulpit, but you don't have to put money in that plate. You could just say, thanks for the service, pastor, and, and I'm going to pass the plate to the next guy over uh, who's got a lot more money, and he's going to throw money in, in the plate, right? And, and so to me, this is sort of this, this honeymoon stage, and I don't think a lot of people realize this, um, but it, to me it's a honeymoon stage where athletes are getting paid. Um, it's not costing the taxpayer. It's not costing the universities because they're not revenue-sharing. Uh, and and fans, they're, they're not obligated to donate. They could still enjoy the product if they want without ever putting a dollar bill into the offering kit. Um, I, I think this this phase is is sort of on its last legs. Um, maybe some people will will never uh, have an appreciation for this era, but I don't know. I think it's kind of like a president presidency, right? Like uh, they say, you can you can best judge a president, you know, about ten years later in the rearview mirror. Uh, I think we'll have a better evaluation of of how good or bad this nil era was uh maybe about 10 years from now and certain people that maybe weren't looking at it fondly now may have fonder feelings of it you know 10 years down the road i love it blake we'll get you out of here on an actual football question since we've spent uh, the last 20 minutes talking legalese uh, i see that you recently dropped an article i think this afternoon where you rank the sec quarterbacks uh, I'm just curious where Tennessee's NIL golden boy Nico Iamaleava <laughs> fell on the list and why you had him there. Yeah, so I got Nico at, at number five uh, on my list, and, and uh, I guess the rationale for that is I'd like to see a little bit more proof of product before I elevate him higher than number five. I wouldn't have a huge argument with someone who would have him at number have him higher than five. Uh, in their SEC quarterback rankings. Uh, but I went with guys that, that have a little bit more on tape in my top five ahead of him. I start with Carson Beck at number one uh, from Georgia. Uh, I think he's the clear returning top quarterback in this conference uh, going into this season. Uh, then I go with Quinn Ewers from Texas at two, Jalen Milrow from Alabama at three, Ole Miss's Jackson Dart at four, and Nico uh, at five. And I will admit, you know, if this was a if this was Wall Street, uh, and this was stock market opportunity, and, and I was a financial advisor, I might be saying, hey, see Nico there at five? Go ahead and buy low there. I think this is a good, if you're basing it off my rankings, I think this is a good buy low opportunity 
uh, on on Nico. So I, I think it's fair to have him at five because of the way I base my pecking order. I like those more proven guys at the top, but you know if I was buying stock in one of these guys and I could get Nico at the number five uh, pecking order in the SEC, yeah, I think I'd snap him up right there. All preseason lists printed in February are subject to That's right. change. Let's not forget <laughs> that. Right. Blake, really appreciate the time today, my man. Thank you so much for swinging by with us. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Blake Topmeyer covers the SEC for USA Today and the Knoxville News Sentinel. I'm not going to ask you, Bear, but I think you probably learned something. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, That's a, all, yeah, a lot of stuff. And it's, that was all it, I needed. It's a lot of places we can, we can unpack it as the show goes on today. Um, I did want to get him one football question on the way out the door. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But we will uh, begin to unpack that uh, coming up next after these messages. You're listening to Drive on Fan Run Radio. Kind of funky on a Wednesday. Oh, it's got some funk to it. It's Ike Turner. Really? Yeah, it's the Gorillas, but you listen to Ike. I dig. Yeah, the bad man. Uh, Blake Topmeyer, USA Today, Knoxville News Sentinel. Tucker, what did you learn? That Nico Yamaleava needs to do more to gain his approval. Yeah, 100% agree. I was gonna, okay, yeah. good. I was going to say, I'll open myself up. I, I agree. At least throw in the football. Yeah. I think he's a, he's probably a little better runner than I expected. We, they're we still see him throw it a little bit. I mean, he played a, he played a great defense, but, you know, we'll, we'll, there's a difference between playing Iowa and playing, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Ole Miss. Yeah. I, LSU. difference between playing the Kentucky, South Carolina. And people brought up the fact, you know, if Keaton doesn't stop on that deep route, add 60 yards and another touchdown to his total, and then I think all of a sudden at least the box score onlookers are thinking, oh, man, this kid's really good. Keaton cuts that route short. The ball falls incomplete, and now everyone's like, well, he only threw for what I mean, was it, 120? All sounds this kid being – I mean, he's he's has the most raw talent of any quarterback that's come here since – Peyton. Peyton. Yeah, and if you go back and read all of the recruiting sites, nobody, nobody said, hey, this guy is a five-star finished product, ready to go. Everyone no, said potential, raw. but raw. Going to take some work. Going to take some some needing is, by is the coaching staff. Hell yeah. But he's raw right now. You've yeah. got to very carefully. You, you, you carefully prepare. Prepare, yeah. yeah. I think that's important. I think that's, and who knows with what, what we know now mm. that, you know, and we probably should have said Russ and I had heard about this a while back. I'm trying to remember if it was even actually back during football season. I think it was. I heard some stuff over the summer that like they love the talent, but just no. I'm he's talking learning. about we had heard that there were there was something going on with NIL. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And I, I've I've always wondered if that was playing in uh, when well, he was playing. We talked about it last week, like the the idea of red shirting and only playing him in four games. Like yeah, you, you just make wonder. a whole lot. Of, you had a quarterback that you know yeah. he, he you was just, what he was. But you wonder. I think that's fair. You know, will we ever have an answer? Probably not. But it's it's you know it's food for thought. Yeah, we still went what nine and four. Nine and four went nine and four. The solid season, and it sounds like you know they're not going to. The NCAA is not going to be doing anything to prevent us from – Nico uh, is going to be under center 
uh, opening kickoff. Yeah. I guess that, that was one of my initial thoughts, more last week than today, but does this serve as a distraction for Nico or for the team? And I, I, I appreciate Blake answering the way he did. No. They're going to go about business as usual. This shouldn't impact recruiting. This shouldn't impact day-to-day. This is in the hands of the courts now. Right. Hopefully the staff, the administration, the players, they can you know put eyes forward towards the season and just work on getting better and not have to deal with this. It is still there. So you wonder, you know, does that creep into your mind at some point? But I, I appreciate Blake for kind of calming me down yeah. a little bit. It's like, hey, this isn't going to be something that, you know, they're they're talking about and thinking about every day. Yeah, and then the other really big thing to me, and, and we kind of got into it joking around about the billboard and, and all that, but I honestly think, because it, for a couple of reasons. Number one, nobody has had to deal with the NCAA more than Tennessee in the past. You go all the way back to Pearl. From Pearl to Kiffin, uh, you know, and then it, as soon as we finally got through the last of the uh, Kiffin stuff, mm. we immediately land in Jeremy Pruitt land. Yeah, and I, I do think that there were schools, and I don't think Tennessee and uh, the AG in Virginia are the only two states that, that looked at that when Kavanaugh said what he said. They looked at it, well, you know, we're tired of dealing with these people. They don't have a leg to stand on legally. And I wonder if that, that played – I think that definitely played into it. I think so, Because, I mean, if I can read something and understand it, like, something like, like it's really simple. After what Kavanaugh said – even if you weren't under investigation or the NCAA wasn't snooping around, weren't you sharpening the knives a little bit? Like, you want to come after us? Because we got you now. Like, you, Well, yeah. And I think that's why in that meeting, like, I wonder if they – I mean, they couldn't have been surprised because they just got done hammering Florida State. Florida State's the one – I wonder if if they if that administration could go back and change it. I was just about to say, you wonder if they look back and think, oh, we missed an opportunity. Maybe they're okay with the, now, the, the only suspension thing that, the, and the yeah, whatever. Because now, the one thing that Florida State, that wasn't just straight NIL. They got caught right. with their hand in the cookie jar tampering. Tampering, yeah. But, you know, if, if apparently uh, the starting quarterback at Arizona, did you see that? Yeah. But Kalen, Kalen DeBoer? Yeah. That he reached out and Alabama was talking to him. And yeah. We never reached out to Alabama. He ends up staying That's in Arizona. That's kind of stuff like, you know, and, and the NIL stuff, I, all this stuff I think could be easily regulated and, and overseen. I just don't think the NCAA can do it. But I do think there needs to be very strict and strict rules about tampering. And like NFL, I mean, the same kind of harsh – punishments yeah should you get caught tampering in the nfl i think we're going to need to see that in college football is, is tampering in college and forgive me maybe this is obvious and i just don't know this if obviously if if i'm kalen DeBoer and i'm in alabama and a kid's not in the transfer portal i cannot reach out to him i cannot call him i cannot talk to him Mm-mm. what if he calls me can i entertain a conversation if he reaches out to i don't me? think so because the way the other- i understand the rules is you would have to tell them look i cannot speak with you that's what i thought you're a scholarship athlete at arizona who is not in the transfer portal now if you go in the transfer portal i absolutely would like to talk to you until then we can't talk and i'm assuming but nobody's going to do that there's third party stuff there too like i'll talk to this coach yeah 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 yeah. but that kid stated that he had talked to 
Kalen DeBoer. See, I mentioned him by name. Uh, and well, Ann said the two schools I was considering transferring to were Washington and Alabama, which means DeBoer was probably involved in this guy, you know, for a while. Yeah. And it, by the way, Tom Mars, uh, shout out to, I, I'll look it up and uh, somebody on Twitter reset. Tom Mars is, Spy, is the lead attorney for Spires in this matter. <laughs> yeah, I figured they were involved, or he was involved, rather. Yeah. So. And NCAA came in all heavy-handed and bullying Houston, and and I, I think really tried to you know Bogart us in the okay, okay, yeah. It was kind of thank surpri- you. Yes, kind of Th- surprised. Thank you, Blake, sir, may I have another. Blake didn't think that because I I kind of get that impression. That just feels like the NCAA's move to me. But I don't know. I, I've I've given up trying to understand the NCAA at all at this point. Well, we'll continue to dig into that and more. Hour number one in the books, hour number two on deck. You are listening to The Drive on Fan Run Radio.